I'm Jacqueline Parrish. I'm the Director of Marketing at Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. And today I'd like to share two origin stories with you. We're gonna start with one and we're gonna end with the other. The first one is about a little group of people that has affectionately become known as the Blunt Force Party. See, a few years ago, some friends of mine and I were traveling in the underdark. And as one does in the underdark, we ran into some drow, we got captured, we got our weapons and our spell components taken away and we were all chained together. But we had a monk with us who had the shadow step ability. So we thought, okay, this is gonna be fine. Our monk will teleport across the room, bamf over to where our weapons are, get our weapons, bamf back silently, we'll be armed again, we'll get out of our shackles, we'll attack the bad guys. Well. RDM decided to be snarky that night, and contrary to what the player's handbook says, he decided that this time, Shadow Step was going to carry everything attached to our monk with her. And we were all attached to her. So instead of her silently landing near our weapons, we all landed in this crash of tieflings and chains. So naturally that alerted our captors, and they woke up and started preparing spells and getting their weapons out. So us, thinking quickly, uh, panicked, and decided, oh no, bamf us over to where that guy is. And so our monk shadow stepped again on top of one of the drow. We crashed on top of him, took quite a bit of bludgeoning damage, but we noticed that the drow took more bludgeoning damage than we did. So naturally we spent about the next six rounds just shadow stepping all of us onto the bad guys <laughs> until they were all unconscious and we were at about a third of our hit points. And thus was born the Blunt Force Party. But as much as I love to tell that story, it's actually not my favorite origin story I'm gonna tell you today. Because as much as I love telling about how the hapless group of irresponsible adventurers became the saviors of Baranthia, I like more telling you about how a loosely connected group of acquaintances became really amazing friends. We're gonna talk today about how Dungeons and & Dragons and tabletop RPGs in general can help us be shaped for authentic community. See, context shapes relationships. I have work friends and I have my D&D friends. And those relationships are different because of the context in which they've taken shape. My work friends expect different things from me than my D&D friends. My church friends uh, know different things about me than my D&D friends. These contexts have shaped the nature of our coexistence. At the same time though, relationships shape us. Context shapes relationships and relationships shape us. I am a different person because I've been playing D&D with this group of people for four years. And I think that the way this experience has shaped me has made me better capable of making and keeping long-term lasting friendships in the rest of my life. So we're going to talk about three main categories of how D&D can shape us for authentic community. Number one, D&D teaches us how to build beautiful things with other people. My D&D group, they're my team. D&D is a cooperative game, generally. And in order to make the game work, you have to learn to work together. Most of the encounters you go through are on some level just exercises in problem solving. A couple weeks ago, we had some local Goliath that had suddenly started blockading this particular village. The village couldn't get food. We were hired to end the blockade. That's just a problem solving exercise. And that was our, that was the game for the night was solving that problem together. But also D&D is about learning to balance your skill sets to varying degrees of success. For example, in Blunt Force Party, we had two rogues and I played a druid. And rogues 
as you might know if you play D&D, if they get advantage on their shots, they get sneak attack damage. And so that not only increases the likelihood that they'll hit in combat, but it also exponentially increases the amount of damage your team can do. So many encounters started with me casting fairy fire to give them advantage to increase their damage and their likelihood of hitting. And that's largely what a lot of the mechanics of D&D are structured to help you do is balance those different skill sets to solve those problems together. But also there's narrative teamwork that goes on because D&D is not just a game in terms of hit points and armor class and damage. It's also about creating a story together. And everyone at the table is playing a different character. They're playing different characters with different goals, different personalities, different worldviews. And if you're going to keep adventuring together, and if you're going to solve these problems together, you have to find ways to make all of those things work together. For instance, in Blunt Force Party, we had those two rogues I mentioned. Crush is your classic rogue. He wants loot. He wants magic items. Wherever we go, that's what he's looking for. Ellie, on the other hand, for reasons that I can explain later, is obsessed with mushrooms. Everywhere we go, she's looking for mushrooms. So every encounter we had, Crush is looking for loot and magic items, and Ellie is looking for mushrooms, and somehow we have to manage to achieve something resembling success out of those two very divergent goals. We also all have different personalities. The characters at the table have different personalities. Right now, our cleric is, while not a pacifist, definitely a peace-loving fellow who fighting is the last thing on his list, whereas our fighter, as her class name suggests, is uh, loves to fight everyone and wants to fight everyone all the time. Is very brash, headstrong, and impulsive. In every non-player character interaction, we have to find a way to make that interaction productive while balancing those two different personalities. There's also different worldviews at play. My character, the druid, is a neutral good diplomat, and she is constantly trying to find ways to provide enough societal structure so that people can live peaceably together. Our tiefling sorcerer, on the other hand, is as chaotic as it gets, and her idea of a good world is a world in which everyone stays out of each other's way and does their own thing and people stop telling other people what to do. Those are two very different versions of what is good and best for people. And in order for us to work together, we had to find ways, if not to get those two worldviews to mesh, to at least find a way for them to talk constructively. Otherwise, we couldn't keep adventuring together as a party. So D&D is about teamwork and I learned teamwork from it. It taught me how to tackle big, complicated, complex problems. It taught me how to let others support me with their skill sets as I supported them with my skill sets. And it also gave me practice in fighting through vast ideological differences in order to achieve goals together. But as we talked about, D&D isn't just a game, it's also narrative. It is a literary medium, it's a storytelling genre. And what happens at the table is story creation, but it's story creation on a level and of a quality that is really unprecedented in the rest of literature. For one thing, usually you have someone who creates a piece of art and a person who consumes it. An author writes a book, the reader reads the book. However, in D&D, everyone at the table, players and DM included, no one has sole control over the game. If you think your DM has sole control over the game, ask your DM sometime. They'll tell you, no, they're not controlling what you're doing. So 
Everyone at the table is an author of the story you're creating together. You're also an actor acting out the story together through your dialogue and through your actions. You're also a character within the story and you're also an audience of the story. You're experiencing all these roles at the same time in community. It's co-creativity that you see very few places in the rest of literature. It's also ergodic in the sense that it is literature that is created in the moment, uh, a little bit like those choose your own adventure stories. The story does not exist before you sit down at the table. It happens as you sit down in the table and create it together. It's a bit like jazz improvisation. The moment of creation and the moment of relation are collapsed into one. The story is created and related at the same time, written and read simultaneously. As with a jazz improv session, you could record a jazz improv session and write down the sheet music of the notes that were played. But sitting and reading that sheet music would be nothing like the experience of actually sitting with all the other musicians and creating that music in the moment. The story of Blunt Force Party exists in our collective imaginations for the moment it is being told. And then it just exists in our collective memory. It is ephemeral, it is evanescent. It only exists for us in that moment at that time. So D&D taught me to trust others in the creative process and to enjoy letting other people have input in, a, in creating something beautiful together. But it also taught me to enjoy the creative process itself and not obsess over the product. So D&D helps us learn how to build beautiful things with other people. D&D also taught me how to see and be seen in the sense that it taught me how to practice empathy and it also taught me how to practice vulnerability. So empathy is an interesting thing. And from a certain perspective, you could say that a role-playing game, a live action role-playing game or a tabletop role-playing game is from a certain perspective, just an exercise in empathy. The whole point of the game is to pretend to be someone you're not. It's to try and put your mind in the place of a different person and react to the situation they would, understand how they would feel, understand how they would think. That's, that's an empathy muscle you're exercising there at the table. Now, it's imperfect, obviously, because you're enacting the ideas and feelings of a character you're creating, but actual empathy in real life is imperfect too. You can never completely understand another person. There is a uncrossable gulf between us and every other person we meet. Empathy isn't about stepping across that gulf and saying, I understand how you feel. Empathy is about reaching as far as you can to that other person, realizing you're never going to completely reach them, but that the simple act of reaching towards them and attempting to understand them is what allows you to live together in community and in meaningful, authentic friendship. And D&D is a place where you get to exercise that muscle. It also taught me some vulnerability. Now, again, you might think that where's the vulner vulnerability in D&D, because you're all sitting around a table pretending to be someone you're not. How is that vulnerability? Well, it's vulnerability because of something I'm going to call the Adler effect. If you watch Sherlock, you will probably remember a line from a scandal in Belgravia where Irene Adler says that every disguise is ultimately a self-portrait in the sense that the masks we choose to wear ultimately reveal far more than they conceal about us. I have found this to be uncomfortably true in my role-playing. For instance, uh, Sarah Lynn Bowman in the functions of role-playing games 
talks about nine particular selves that role players tend to put on as they play these role playing games. It's not an exhaustive list, but it is a very helpfully descriptive one. Interestingly enough, they're all versions of the self. There's, there is no mask created entirely without reference to who I am as a person. I'll give you a couple of examples that I've experienced. Number one, she calls the idealized self. This is me as I wish I was. Stronger, better, faster, thinner, whatever. My first character, my druid, was 100% an idealized version of myself. She was assertive, she was commanding, she was in charge. When she talks, people listen. She had active, direct influence over the government in her area, which was nice. But those were not things I experienced or really have a lot of in my life. And so that character was definitely me getting to be someone I wish I was. It was definitely my idealized self. And it did not take my party long to realize that's what I was doing. And they learned something about me as Jacqueline by watching me play me as Adeneth. And they know things about me and my personality and the things I value and the things I want in life more really in different ways than even my church friends might know. The other self that Bowman talks about is something she calls the repressed self or the inner child. And this is basically when you play a sort of innocent childlike version of yourself. This is my current character. Flossie is a cleric from a cleric family who desperately wants to be a bard. And she is gregarious. She loves everyone. She wants to talk to everyone. She wants to make friends with everyone. Everything is fascinating and exciting and beautiful. And I thought this was a very original character. Uh, Aideneth, my druid, is a bit of an edgelord and I wanted to play someone a little more fun. Uh, and I thought she was super original. And then about six weeks of playing, my sister, who plays at our table, looks across the table at me and goes, oh, you're playing yourself at 10 years old. And she was right. It was absolutely what I was doing. I had worked very hard to create a mask that I think is nothing like me and had ended up creating something that is actually just me as I was before I became the cynical piece of work before you. Kidding. So... D&D gave me a place where I can practice seeing other people for who they are. And D&D gave me a place where I can practice being seen because vulnerability is scary. The last category I'm going to talk about is the fact that D&D can teach us how to be human. It can teach us how to be human because it is a storytelling medium, a literary genre, and because it's a game. See, D&D as a literary genre and as a storytelling device allows us to experience all the same things that the best stories we have allow us to experience. In short, good stories both, they awakened our mind to understand and our hearts to desire that which is most true, most good, and most beautiful. Let me explain. Harry Potter. When you read Harry Potter, you probably noticed a theme developing throughout the story that self-sacrifice is worth it for the people you love. However, I'm going to bet you learned more about that from Harry's story than you did from me saying to you just now, self-sacrifice is valuable. The story taught you more deeply and more completely about the value of sacrifice for community than just me giving you an aphorism or a moralism. It awakened your mind to better understand what self-sacrifice is and what it means. Also, I would be willing to bet 
could be wrong, you'll let me know. When you finished Harry Potter, you probably didn't close the book and think, gee, I really want to be more like Voldemort. Or I just really want to be more like Dolores Umbridge. No, you, you finished the book wanting to be like Harry and Hermione and Ron and Neville. Because that book leaves you not just understanding self-sacrifice better, it leaves you seeing self-sacrifice as beautiful. It awakens your mind and awakens your heart to understand and to desire things that are more real, more true, more beautiful. I say more true and more real in the sense that, uh, if you think about it, I can't see truth. I can see true things, but truth is an invisible concept that I can't really see. I can see Twitter. However, truth is more real than Twitter. Truth will still matter and will still be real and will still be valuable and beautiful long after the servers of Twitter sputter and die. See, as a storytelling medium, D&D has the power to do what Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians 4. It teaches us to look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. I can't see truth, but because I've played D&D and I've experienced good storytelling with people I love, it makes me want to be someone who values truth. It makes me want to be valued. It makes me want to be someone who values and embodies bravery and uh, standing up for what is right. It taught me to see and desire that which is more good, more true, more beautiful, and more real. But D&D is also a game. And I would be willing to bet if you play D&D or any other tabletop RPG, you don't play it because it makes you more emotionally aware or because it helps you develop problem-solving skills. You play it because it's fun. That's why we play games. See, but here's the thing. I would argue that we were made for fun theologically. Let me explain. In this life, in this post-fall world we live in, there are two categories of activities. There's things we do because we want or need the results of that action, and there's things we do just for themselves. We don't need a reason to do them. They, the act of doing it is its own reward. I really enjoy my work here at the seminary. I like marketing. I like what I do. However, I don't do this job just because I enjoy running Facebook campaigns and reserving ads and writing content. I want the work of the seminary to continue. I want a paycheck. I want the results that come from this activity. I don't get anything tangible out of playing D&D. It's three hours of my week, every week. It's a lot of work. The player's handbook is like the directions for the game are this thick. It's a lot of work. It doesn't make me any money or look good on my resume or earn me any clout in the academic realm. I do it because it's fun. I enjoy it on its own. But here's the crazy thing about games. Games provide us a place where we can experience a phenomenon I'd call fun work. It's work we do just because we want to and because it in and of itself is fun. There's a book written by Jane McGonigal called Reality is Broken. And in it, she makes the argument that part of the reason games are so addictive, video games, tabletop games, etc., is because games provide us things that reality doesn't. And I would argue games provide us something that reality used to before the fall. 
She describes in her book, games challenge us and help us to put our personal strengths to better use. They focus our energy on something we're good at and enjoy. They give us clearer missions and more satisfying work. They eliminate our fear of failure. In short, D&D and games like it provide a place where we can experience what work was meant to be before the fall. where we can experience creating something beautiful in community and earning rewards that are intangible but that we enjoy earning them just for their own sake this is what we were made for we weren't made to work for our survival we were made to work out of joy and because the work we were made to do was in and of itself its own reward dnd is a place where we get to experience for in my case three hours a week a little taste of what the kind of work we were made for feels like. D&D taught me how to be more human because it taught me how to love that which is more true, more good, and more beautiful. And because it taught me how to enjoy work for its own sake. And it gave me a little taste of what it's like to work the way work would have been in Eden and the way work will be in the new heaven and the new earth. So to kind of wrap up, I want to tell you that second origin story I mentioned. Uh, About four years ago, I was not in a great place. I had experienced a lot of disappointment, some betrayal, a lot of loss. I didn't feel like trusting anyone. Didn't feel like building anything beautiful with anyone. I was bitter. Definitely didn't feel like being empathetic. Definitely didn't feel like being vulnerable and didn't feel particularly human. So my husband and I decided, let's have a one-shot. Let's call some people over. Let's play some D&D. It'll be fun. Life wasn't very fun at that time. Let's give it a shot. So we called up a bunch of people, most of whom had never played D&D one time in their life, many of whom either hadn't seen each other for years or didn't know each other at all. And we said, just come and play. It's one night. Humor us. It'll be fun. So they humored us. And... We were supposed to play from about six to nine, and we played till after midnight. And then a couple weeks later, we played again. And then another week later, we, we played again. And week after week, we just kept playing. Uh, some of us got married, we kept playing. I had a kid, we kept playing. Some of us lost jobs, lost family members, had massive life change. We survived a global pandemic together. We moved on to Zoom and we just kept playing. And somehow, over the last four years, this loosely connected group of acquaintances has become one of the most rewarding, intimate, consistent sources of community in my life. And because of my experience with them, I'm better able to build community in the rest of my life. And that's why I would argue that Dungeons and Dragons makes us better equipped for authentic communities.